Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Part five, final part of our series called Soul Detox. Um, I was talking to some people about this, this video and this image and this graphic, and a lot of the young people are like, dude, that's so awesome. I talked to some of the older people, like, dude, that's so weird. That's the last time you'll have to see it. All right, either way. You don't, you don't. Because some of you are like, man, I want that out of me. That, uh, that, don't, uh, that doesn't belong inside of me. We've been talking about this idea that, that literally you are spirit, soul, and body. You are three parts. You are a spirit, meaning that is, that is the essence of life, in essence. And that's just the core of who you are. But then you have a soul made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then you live in a body. Thank God you are not your body, right? If you've ever been to a funeral, you know, like there used to be somebody in there. They're not in there anymore. That was just a shell. That was them connected to the earth for a period of time, but now they're gone. And, and then we, we know that we have a soul. We know we have thoughts, even though we're not our thoughts because our thoughts change. We know we have feelings, but we're not our feelings because they change sometimes by the minute or the hour, depending, you know. Uh, and we, we know that we've made decisions, but we are not our decisions. We, we have life beyond that. But what happens is, is in our mind, in our emotions, we start collecting junk and funk and toxic and weird and if you live on planet earth you know that this earth is full of funky people it's full of sin it's got issues it's broken and so you picked up stuff you picked up stuff how many of you have ever felt like all of a sudden you started doing stuff as an adult and you're like oh, my mother used to say that or you start doing something you're like oh my dad used to do that and you're like how did i get that and so you just know that you collected stuff sometimes in your dna but other times through like modeling and habit and so you picked up how many ever felt like you picked up something don't don't raise your hand you picked up something in a relationship like all of a sudden a relationship went bad and then you carried something over from that one into the next one. And so you carry stuff. Your, your soul has the ability to kind of harbor these thoughts and these feelings. And then we've all come to this conclusion that a lot of those thoughts and feelings are not good for us. And so like I said, we've, we've been talking about everything from addiction to depression to envy to 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 really, we could keep going. We could talk about insecurity and loneliness, or we could talk about guilt or pride, or we could go in so many different directions. But like I said, this, at some point, we've got to end the series. Today, I want to talk about what I think may be the most common thing that we get into our soul, and that's what I would refer to as toxic anger. Anybody ever, anybody ever told you, wow, angry? Anybody ever said, man, you've got some anger issues? And some of you are shaking your head no, and the reason why they haven't is because they're afraid to tell you. Because <laughs> your anger issues run so deep, they're like, shh, don't say nothing. It'll just make him mad. So, so just because somebody didn't tell you that you have anger issues doesn't mean that you don't have anger issues. Now, I don't know about you, but like, here's what I find to be true, is that like some stuff in life makes me angry, and it... To my wife, it doesn't bother her at all. And then some stuff, and you know what I'm talking about if you're on this end, sometimes your spouse will get so angry about stuff, and then what do you tell them? You're like, why are you so angry about it? That's so dumb. Why don't you just let that go? That's not a big deal. Which is the perfect thing to say to an angry person. <laughs> right? Like the perfect thing to say to an angry person is, Shh, don't be angry. Let that go. Yeah, because that works, right? And so let me, let me see. I wrote down some things that make me angry. See if you relate to them. Um, telemarketers. <laughs> Solicitors who ignore the no soliciting sign on your door. That's irritating. Uh, bad cell service. Like when your phone's dropping calls. I hate that one. 
Um, oh, this is the worst. This is the worst. Um, slow internet speed. Like when the internet's not working or it's slow or you see that blue line coming across and just, you're like, come on. Um, being kept on hold. Anybody like that? Yeah, being kept on hold. Um, oh, this, this is terrible. When the service dude tells you that he's going to be there, you know, between noon and 5 p.m., as if that's not a big enough window, and you got to just sit there and wait. And then they come at 5.15. You're like, I could have been gone this whole time. Traffic jams, anybody like traffic? I find that traffic is like tolerance. Like you build up a tolerance. You have a traffic tolerance. And I don't have one because I live like just a few minutes from here. And so I have a very, very low traffic tolerance. And it's, it's, so when I get into traffic, it's, it's bad. Um, I also have a shopping tolerance. Men, is there any men that have a shopping tolerance? I, thank you. I have this thing where when I go shopping with my wife, she just kind of knows. And, and, I, and I'll just be like, all right, babe, I'm, I'm starting to lose it. I'm starting to, like, I, it's like the walls are caving in. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, dear God. And I'm just like, baby, I'm losing. I, I need to get out. I need to go. I need to go. It's, it's almost like a, like a mild panic attack or something like that because it's shopping. And so she just knows I've got a tolerance for, sh- anyway, let's keep going. Um, oh, bad drivers. Bad drivers. Is anybody that's a bad driver? The worst is slow people in the passing lane. It's, and, and then they want to roll right up next to somebody else and go the same speed. And it's like, we're all losers now. Thank you. No one can win this race. Because it's a race. That's what I feel like. I feel like there's an imaginary race in my mind, and I want to get there first, even though we're not even going to the same place. So, oh, this is bad if you're a golfer. Slow people on the golf course. Can I get a what, what? Yeah, slow. If you're not a golfer, you, but it's... It's the equivalent of the traffic thing, really. Um, all right, people talking during the movies. Oh, man, I almost heard a kid the other day. This, uh, my, my son brought a friend to go see a movie. I almost heard him. Uh, I held back, though. I held it. Um, cell phones in movies, that's, just, that's, that's another one, too. Um, this is bad. You, when, when you go into the bathroom and you just put on some fresh socks and then you step into, like, a little puddle of water, and then you have like wet socks. This is this is this. My son knows this one. My kids know this one. When you argue with me as a kid to a parent, like when you argue with me, like I will lose it. And then this is my wife. I love you, but you snore a little bit when I. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing worse. Now my wife is not bad. Now I'll tell you what's great about my wife and snoring is is I'll just be like, baby, roll over. You're snoring, and she doesn't wake up. She just rolls over. She is, she is subconsciously obedient and wonderful in her sleep or something. I don't know what it is. I wish she was like that in her consciousness, but in her subconsciousness, totally submitted. Just, okay. And she rolls over. But one time, one time I was at a retreat, I was at a men's retreat, and dear God in heaven, men who snore, they like saw logs. There was this one guy, it sounded like a chainsaw going off. Like when you crank it, when... And I promise, I almost, because when it's so late and you can't sleep, you get into this like sleep deprivation mode where you're borderline insane. Anybody get like that? And, and I literally, it had never crossed my mind to hurt another human being before. But I literally was like, if I just put a pillow right over his face, he would go see Jesus because he was a pastor, you know what I'm saying? We were pastors. But I didn't. I, I'll tell you, it, was, it was so bad, I'll tell you this, it was so bad that I woke him up. 
and I pleaded with him. His name was Carlos, and I loved him. He was a wonderful man. I said, look, look, your snoring is so bad that I can't go to sleep. And I was almost in tears. I was in that, like, crazy mode. And I said, if, if you'll just stay awake for a few minutes, I'll fall asleep. And if I fall asleep, then you can go back to sleep and your snoring won't bother me. Will you please just let me? And I pleaded with him to let me go to sleep. Isn't that terrible? But anyway, that, let's, I'm, I'm taking too much time. So, so can we all just admit for a second that we all have moments or times where we get angry? And don't get me wrong, there's a scale. I mean, there's some people that like are, you, you, we're going to talk about it today, that, that your scale is way too high on the anger meter. And then some of us just get angry at stuff, at things, at times or seasons or moments. But here's what I want you to all know is that like we all battle anger and everything proves it. Um, 50% of people that come in for counseling sessions basically are dealing with anger. Um, it, it, the studies show that 45% of us lose our anger regularly at work or school. Um, <laughs> one in 20 of us has had a fight with the person living next door. Um, airlines last year reported uh, 1,500 significant or serious acts of air, air rage. Air rage? Is that a thing? Does anybody ever just want to own it in church real quick? Air rage? Some, we were a bunch of good people in here is what it is. Um, road rage. And then there's something literally called net rage. It's internet rage or it's computer rage. Anybody ever hit their computer before? Anybody ever? Okay, good. My point is, is that we all deal with anger at different levels. And it's one thing to get angry maybe at a thing and then let it go. And, we, you know, stuff bothers us for a moment and then we let it go. But what happens is, is it, 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 over time, what we do is, is we take these angry issues in life and we eventually suppress them down deep into our heart and then we become angry. And that's what you've got to be weary of. Now, angry, now I've found this to be true too, is that certain people are more prone to angry. Have you noticed that before? Like, I'll give you an example. There are certain ethnicities, and I'm not going to call anybody out today. You know who you are. You know, I had this guy who's like, well, that's the so, such and such in her. You know, that, that's the, oh, he, well, you know, he's this. And they would just point to like certain ethnicities have a, you know, kind of a a stereotype of being a bit hot-headed. For others, it's a personality temperament. For some of us, your personality, you were born sweet, and that's just the way you've always been. And there's other people that have been born kind of hot-tempered and hot-headed, and that was just a part of your personality. There are other people, it comes from different places, but the root of it is this, is at some point, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, at some point, anger comes when we don't get what we want. Isn't that the truth? We get angry. At the end of the day, we are angry. Why did you get mad at the internet speed? Because you didn't get what you wanted. When the person was in the slow lane and with the passing lane, you were angry because you didn't get what you wanted. When, when you went into the bathroom with nice socks on and you stepped in the puddle, you didn't get what you wanted. And sometimes it's even what we think we deserve. Because sometimes people will come to me. I, I had a conversation with a young man this week, and he was angry at what his parents had been going through. And I tried to tell him, hey, look, I want you to know your anger is fair. Like your anger's real. Like I'm not going to take that away from you. Because here's the deal. When you don't get what you think you wanted in life, you get angry. And I'll prove it to you. There are little babies running around this place this morning. And one of them was, I went up and normally babies smile at me. I have that kind of face. I don't know if that's true. But this baby normally smiles at me. And I went to smile at the baby and the baby was going, and, and the baby, and the mom was like, it's all good. She should be asleep right now. And the baby is angry because she's not getting what she 
wants. And this happens all the way up the spectrum. So like there are some of you that were angry as kids. And the reason why you were an angry kid was because you didn't get what you want. And many times you didn't get what you deserve. So like this, this young man I'm talking to, he's angry because of his parents' drama and the marriage issues and the split and the divorce and the yelling and the fighting and the arguing and all that goes on. And I'm like, hey, that's real. I get that. And so because so, he has a kid, what you think is what I want are two parents that love each other. What I want are two parents that love me. What I want is, and I, I bless God, it's not even just what I want. This is what I think I deserve. And as a kid, some of you have this anger. When you go back and look at your childhood and you think about what I didn't get from my parents. And now, because you didn't get what you want or what you believed even that you deserved, you think they owe. They owe. Like, I deserved a good childhood, or I deserved good parents, or I deserved whatever it was. And so since they didn't give it to me, they owe. And we get angry. And it's totally legit. We, and now we just, we just get older. We get older, and all of a sudden we enter into marriage. And because our spouse didn't give us what we wanted, many times what we thought we deserved, we get angry. So like, well, bless God, woman, I expect when I get home this, or you know what, well, if you were more this, then I would. And you get into these, I want, I deserve, and when we don't get what we want, we get angry. And we get angry, we look at them, and we think they owe. So I know, I know couples that are like, you know what, you know what I deserved? I deserved a faithful partner, and I didn't get it, and I'm angry. And guess what? Your anger is somewhat justified it's not completely misplaced that's what they vowed that's what they pledged that's what they said they would do and they did it and so your anger is not like i'm not going to get here up here today and tell you oh well you shouldn't be angry no that's not true you're gonna be angry the question is what will you do with that anger now the bible speaks to this and this is why we know this the bible says in ephesians 4 26 it says this it says be angry everybody say be angry turn to your neighbor if you got a neighbor next to you, she's like be angry you won't like me when I'm angry. Be angry. But, or and, do not sin. So what the Bible's doing, or what Paul's saying in the book of Ephesians is simply this. is like anger is going to be there at times, and anger and sometimes can be justified. But there's a difference between being angry and what you do with it. There's a difference between being angry and processing or being angry and spewing it. All over. The Bible says a, a fool gives full vent to his anger. You ever seen anybody like this? I'm angry. Well, you made me angry. And so that gives them the right just to spew it on everybody else. That's what the Bible says. A fool, a fool gives full vent to the anger that he has. But the Bible says you can be angry and not sin. So what this means is this, is in essence, there's two kinds of anger that the Bible deals with. And as a matter of fact, 15 different times in the Bible, anger is related to fire. And so that's, it knows that it's hot. But there's righteous anger, and then there's unrighteous anger. Does that make sense? Let me, let me describe to you righteous anger. Like there are certain times in your life where you get angry at things, and because you're angry about it, you do something about it. Many times that can be righteous anger. Like, I'm angry that this is going on in the school, so I'm going to go get involved. I'm going to go, or I'm angry that this is going on in my marriage, so I'm going to get involved. I'm going to go be proactive. I'm going to do something about it. Sometimes it's civil issues or social justice or, or people being mistreated and it's sex trafficking and racism, and it's different things that you say, you know what? This is wrong, and I'm hacked off about it. And so I'm going to get engaged. I'm going to get involved. And so righteous anger leads us to make a kingdom difference. This is what Jesus did. As a matter of fact, there's a story in the Bible that seems shocking. 
if you grew up with an image of Jesus that he had wavy brown hair with blonde highlights, blue eyes, a monk's robe, and some Birkenstocks, little children on his lap, and he was praying for people, then this story will wreck that image. Because there is a story in the Bible that shocks me that he would give this level of vent to his anger. Now, I don't think he gave full vent to his anger because I think he'd have blown everybody up. But there's a story where Jesus gets legitimately angry. Uh, can I read it for you this morning? He goes into the temple and the Bible says this. It says, now the Passover of the Jews, which Passover was one of the largest feasts of the year for them, it was at hand. And so Jesus went to Jerusalem like all the Jews would have been doing to go celebrate Passover. And he found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Now, at first glance, we would think, well, I guess people just, you got to go to the temple and give a, give a dove or an oxen or a sheep. You got to make a sacrifice. So they sell. That's, that's, I guess that's what they do. When he made a whip of cords, that means he went and made it. Like he didn't find it. You ever seen like the, the angry mom or dad that like made the paddle? They were whittling your demise, you know what I mean, the principle that like, I made this, it's out of a nice oak, and you know, they, they like etch things in it, like, you know, whatever. Jesus went and made this thing. He didn't just borrow it, he made it. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. So I want you to imagine this. He takes a whip, and as if he's driving cattle, he starts just fired up, mad, driving everybody out, including the animals. And then he starts flipping over tables. Now, if this happened today, we would call the police. <laughs> We'd be like, wow, Rabbi Jesus has lost his mind. We would call the, the authorities. We would file a complaint. This guy should be in anger management classes starting next week. And then he says, and he says to the, those who sold doves, he goes, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written in the Old Testament, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, here's the deal. It's an incredible story, but you got to know history. So if you read your history books, you know this, that during the time of Jesus, they had an incredibly high level of corruption in the priesthood. Even in the, in, the, in, the, in the history books of Josephus, he talks to the days of Ananias and Caiaphas, which were the high priest of that day. And here's what they had done. So, uh, so, so Caiaphas is like the grandpa, and then Ananias is the son. I think he's actually the son-in-law. They had garnered and, and, and collected all the power over the temple. And here's what they had done. They had figured out how to make money off of the people. So what they had done was, is they realized everybody's got to come to the temple to come worship and make a sacrifice. So what they did was, is they created a monopoly out of all the sheep. So they were the ones raising all the sheep so that when you came and had to sacrifice a sheep, who did you have to buy a sheep from? From Ananias and Caiaphas. And so what they would do is, is they would jack up or raise up these incredible prices on sheep just so that you could make the sacrifice that you had to make. Not only that, but then they had a, you notice that it said there was money changers there? You couldn't just buy the sheep with your own money. You had to go do a currency exchange and get temple money to buy the sheep that they had the monopoly on. So not only did they jack up the prices on the sheep, they made the exchange rate high. So that when you were trading in money, you were getting less value back. These guys were running a racket. These guys were extorting people. These guys were taking advantage of people. That's not even all of it. The fact of where they were at. You notice that they, there's a certain place where they were at in the temple. 
That's where they had set up the money tables and selling the oxen and the cows, all that stuff. This was called the court of the Gentiles, which was where the Gentiles would come to worship. Because you, to go into the next level of the, of the temple, you had to be a Jew. But like all these Gentiles wanted to come and worship the one true God, and this is where they would worship. And so instead of giving them a place to worship, they had basically taken it away by setting up this racket and this extortion system. They had run out the only area that the Gentiles could come and worship God. Now, if you were God, and you walked into your temple one day, and you saw what the leaders of the temple were doing and how they were abusing and extorting the people, what would you do? You might go make a whip. You might get mad. You might start flipping over tables and driving them out because of the level of corruption. Jesus was fueled by a righteous indignation to say it is time to set the things straight. And that's that righteous anger. And I would say, hey, whenever you find yourself having that anger, move on it, act on it, do something. Many times we're compelled to go and make a move and do something in society to make society better, to help somebody else who can't help themselves. And and, and then we feel it, and then we kind of back off. We don't do anything, and all of a sudden the feelings kind of subside. Act on it, do something, but do something with a kingdom impact to it. But, everybody say but. Most of the time that's not our issue when I'm talking about anger. Most of the time, it's not the righteous anger that we're having issues with. I'm usually not like reeling you in from doing, you know, these, these kind of like crazy things on abortion clinics. You know, I'm not like, hey, calm down, come back. That's not my issue. My issue with you is not the righteous anger. It's the unrighteous anger. And unrighteous anger is simply the opposite, is when anger leads you to sin. And that's the anger that most of us are dealing with. It's not the righteous anger. It's the unrighteous anger. It's the us getting mad at our kids, our spouse, our coworkers, our family members, our friends. It's us getting mad sometimes at strangers. This, my wife just had an encounter recently where she was pulling through the bank teller. You know, like you got the two lines where you got the little ATM machines that you drive through. And homeboy decided that he was going to stay far enough back and in the middle to where he could kind of choose whichever one came next. And my wife didn't notice that, and, and so she just kind of pulled into the one, you know, the, and pulled in right behind somebody, and it opened first. And this old dude came up and gave my wife the business and starts yelling and cussing and saying all kinds of things. And my kids are in the back, so she's like, okay, just turns up the volume on the worship music. Like, okay, love you, bless you. And, you know, but like some people's just crazy to strangers, It's the unrighteous anger that leads you to sin, and that's the thing that we need to correct. That's the thing that we need to get out of our system. And in case you're not clear on what that anger looks like, let me really define it. There are four ways that I think primarily we sin with our anger. When anger, number one is this, when anger is expressed through violence, we know it's gone too far. Like this is the story of Cain and Abel. This is why when Cain and Abel, the first two little brothers recorded in history and in the Bible, when they're living together, Cain gets angry. And God asks him this most profound question. It's literally just dead verbatim quote. Why are you angry? It's one of the most powerful questions you can ever ask yourself. Why are you angry? Like, why are you tripping? Ask yourself that every once in a while. Figure out what it is that you think you want or you think you deserve or that you think that they owe you and start getting to the bottom of that because more than likely, you're wrong. More than likely, you're tripping. Or if, even if you're justified in your anger, you're not processing it well. Like, why are you angry? And then Cain never processes his anger. He never figures it out. He never digs down to where it's coming from. And he goes and murders his brother. 
Whenever violence turns, or whenever violence comes out of our anger, whenever we start hitting and abusing and throwing and kicking the dog and all that comes out of us, our anger, we have become fools because we've now given full vent to our anger. Anger should never lead us to violence. That person is made in the image and likeness of God and Christ died for them, a brutal death on the cross. They are precious and valuable to your heavenly father. Slow your roll. Number two is this. When anger is expressed through verbal abuse. Because some of you are like, man, I'd never hit a girl. I'd never hit a girl. Yeah, but you're mean as heck. You are nasty with your words. You yell, you cuss, you scream, you belittle, you name call, you threaten. Dear God, I know, I know you didn't hit her. You didn't take the, the sledgehammer. You took the chisel. And word after word and fight after fight and argument after argument. Listen to this. Listen to what Jesus says. He, he addresses this. He says in Matthew 5, he says, you have heard it said of old, don't murder. Then we're all like, yeah, I'm down with that. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. We're all like, yeah, I'm down with that. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of judgment. And, everybody say, and? And whoever says to his brother, raka, which is basically like you moron, you idiot, you shall be in danger of the council, and whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So he was saying, he was dressing this idea, because many times this would be the argument. In their culture, they could easily step back and be like, well, I didn't kill her. Well, good for you. Thank you for your contribution to society. You didn't kill them. Thank you. And Jesus said, that's ridiculous. That's not the nature of the gospel. The gospel goes so much deeper than that. Like, that would be like the bare minimum requirement. Don't kill anybody. Thank you. The, the, the real requirement is this, is we don't harbor anger in our heart, especially without cause, and we never harbor our anger to a point that we start spewing this verbal nastiness on people. So watch your words when it comes to your anger. You are in danger of judgment. Be careful with your words. Number three is this, is that, is that ultimately when anger is allowed to linger. This is so important. I need you, if you've missed some stuff, please dial back in with me. Listen to this real quick. There's a scripture that says, be angry and do not sin. We read that part earlier, but I didn't finish. It says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, I, I want to say something here. This does not mean that if you are in an argument and a fight with your spouse at 11.30 at night, that you continue on into the wee hours of the morning until you resolve it. That's not what, I literally had a dude say, well, the Bible says don't let the sun go. I'm like, the sun's down. Let it go. Because here's, the, the point of the scripture has nothing to do with the literal setting of the sun. It's a euphemism for don't let your anger linger for long periods of time. Deal with it, resolve it, work on it, but you don't let that stuff last. It wasn't in a literal 24-hour whatever. It had to do with like saying, hey, look, when you're angry, and this is what we know to be true, when you're angry and at the peak of your anger, has anybody ever said that's when I'm at my smartest? You know, when I'm full-blown anger, that's when I'm at my wisest. No, studies have shown that when we're at the full vent of our anger, we actually lose brain function. We get dumber the angrier we get. So you're not going to be able to resolve stuff in the middle of the night when you're at the full-blown vent of your anger. That's not how this works. So, so go to bed, sleep it off. But the next morning, start to work on that and deal with that. Go towards resolution. But it says a couple other things, too. So we're not going to let it linger. We're not going to let it, like, store up and build up. Because some of us do that. Some of us quiet, angry people. Yeah, laughter. Nervous laughter. 
Some of you quiet, angry people, you're not spewers. You're not the one that we have to call the cops on usually. Right away, at least. You're not spewers, you're stewers. You bury it down deep. And you have layers. It's almost like, okay, that happened? Okay, yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you. Bam, bury it down. Oh, it's again, it's again, it's Friday night, it's all over. Okay, bam, and you bury it down. All of a sudden, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it's got no place to go. And then what happens is, you either completely combust on the inside or you eventually explode on the outside. Neither one of them are good. So you'd never want to let sin or, or anger linger because look at this he goes he goes don't let the sun go down on your wrath and he connects it to this idea nor give place to the devil it literally means an opportunity or even a location because whenever you are angry this is this is what happens you start taking your anger and having these conversations in your own mind you start allowing the enemy to influence how you think towards another person and that's what leads us to bitterness so whenever we harbor it in our this is why if you ever we can especially see this maybe as people get older in life. Well, they're just an angry, old, bitter man. Angry, old, bitter woman. They're just, you ever, you ever hear that phrase before? It's partially true. It's not nice for you to say it, but it's partially true. Why do you think a person can become that angry? Because you notice now they're not just angry at the person that they think owes them. Now they think everybody owes them. And nothing you can do will ever please them. And so they're just wanting to get angry about everything. Because when you, when you basically sit on and harbor and allow it to become of who you are, anger becomes a part of you. So now it's not that you were angry, it's that you are angry. Do you see the difference? And you've become an angry person. Angry is a part of your soul system now. And now you can get mad at anybody for any reason, at any time, because bless God, everybody owes. Because you harbored the anger. We're, we're going to talk about how to deal with this. Lastly is this, uh, four ways you can turn your anger. I don't know if this one's sin, but it's definitely not smart. But it's when you turn your anger towards God. The reason why it's not smart is because God's the one that wants to heal you of your anger. And I would guarantee that if you're angry with God, it's because of something that happened to you where you thought God owes me. It should have gone the way that I wanted and I didn't get what I deserved. And we're angry with God and it's because we lack the full understanding of what God is up to. So we just take that anger and we turn it towards God. But God, it, 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 it's, it's a self-defeating thing to get angry with God because God's the one person that wants to get you free from your anger. So directing it at God is never, ever going to help you. And so here's what the Bible says about us processing and dealing with our anger. Are you ready? Because God wants you to be free from your anger. He never wants you to become that, that bitter lady, that bitter man, that angry person, that, that person that spews it or that... that, that that lets it boil up on the inside and make them become a bitter person. God wants you free from your anger, and this is how we're going to do it. Number one is this. How do I overcome my anger? Ultimately, it's when you find peace with God. Now, if you're here today, more than likely, you have already put your faith in Jesus. And so I'm going to talk to you for a quick second. But if you are in here today and you say, man, I haven't really put my faith in Jesus. I just came because they promised me buffet later or I'm a visitor or I'm, I'm whatever. or I'm still struggling with my faith. I don't even know why I'm here. Just my wife makes me come. Whatever your story is. Then, then I get where you come from because anger and, and, and this whole idea is foreign once you remove God from the equation. Like I'm not sure what your motivation would be other than you're just a good person. Does that make sense? Because this is what the Bible says. Listen to this. This is Ephesians. 431. The Bible says, as Paul's speaking, he says, get rid of all malice or all bitterness, anger, rage, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. This, everybody say, get rid of. 
the, the Greek language here doesn't do full justice to this. Has anybody ever, this, is, this will make you angry, has anybody ever walked into a spider web? Oh my gosh. What do you do when you walk into a spider web? Oh my God! And you hope that there's not a spider on a spider web because that just makes it even more bad. I was in my garage the other day and I walked into a spider web and it was like the strongest web. I was like, Spider-Man has been in my garage. It was so strong. And, I could, and then you find pieces later. But when you walk through a spider web, everything within you just wants to get it off of you. That's the real image. So when Paul says, get rid of it, it's not like, hey should probably think about this. Be good for you to not have bitterness. The, the idea of get rid of is like, oh my gosh, get it off of me. Get it off. Get rid of all this bad stuff that all will just boil down to ever say angry. It's all kinds of forms of anger. Along with every form of malice, next verse says this, but rather in, in light of that, be kind and compassionate to one another, which sounds ridiculous. Like, thank you, Paul. It's like, it's like that friend when you're angry, you're like, you know what? You should just get over it. This is even worse because he's not even saying, you know what, you should get over it. He's like, you know what, you should be nice. You want to be nice? I'm angry. But he points to something. It's so, it's so crucial that you get this. He goes, rather, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And this is the key point. Just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So the motivation for you to forgive is not that they deserve your forgiveness. The motivation for your forgiveness has everything to do with your relationship with God. So my, my point is this. I don't want you to see forgiveness through the lens of, well, I just want you to let him go and be nice. Forget that. I want you to see forgiveness through the lens of the cross. In light of the cross, in light of the fact that Jesus died to forgive them, in light of the fact that Jesus died to forgive me, that's how I need to start viewing forgiveness. It has nothing to do with them and how badly what they did was awful and it made me, and how bad and hot my anger. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with because I now have peace with God, I can now have the peace of God over my life. Everything now is viewed through the cross, not through my little perspective in the moment. Because when we view things from in the moment, you're totally justified in your anger. When we start viewing things in light of the cross, everything changes. And then, this is what he says. He goes, not only do I want you to like, have a relationship with God so that you have his peace over your life, because it's out of his forgiveness towards you that you forgive anybody else. Are you, you tracking with me so far? It's because of that. This is what I want you to do. Number two, determine why you're angry. And then respond with forgiveness. So it goes back to that same thing, like get rid of all the bitterness and anger, but like you got to figure out where it's coming from and why that is and figure out the debt that they owe you. This is what forgiveness really is anyway. It's figuring out the debt that they owe you because they owe. And then at some point saying, you know what? I'm going to cancel your debt. You don't owe me anymore. And more than likely, they can't pay you back anyway. Like for those of you who have like childhood anger issues, and you're angry because they robbed you of your childhood and they robbed you of having a mom and a dad and a thing and a thing and the love that they should have given you. And they think, you know what, you, you think in your mind, you're totally justified. What they owe me is my childhood back. Problem is they can't give it to you. There's no going back. They can't give that back to you. So you're going to either harbor that thing your whole life or in light of the cross, you're going to choose to go and cancel their debt. And here's why this is, this is so important. When I accept forgiveness from God, 
I'm set free from my sin. Isn't that true? Like God forgives me, all my sin has been wiped away. I've been set free from my own sin because of the forgiveness that I got from God. But when I extend forgiveness to my adversary, I'm free from their sin. See, some of you have been living this life angry and mad and bottled up and wounded and hurt because of their sin against you. And when you learn to cancel that debt, when you learn to work that process of forgiveness, of letting them go, of giving that to God, of being healed by God, not only are you forgiven and your sins are gone, their sin against you can be gone. Because some of you have been carrying that stuff way too long. And then lastly, we'll close here. Not only determine why you're angry and respond with forgiveness, lastly is this, is renew your mind so that you can respond biblically. See, for some of us, it's the person that hurt us and wound us, and that's why we're so angry, and it's going to take a lot of forgiveness. And guess what? That won't happen overnight. That's going to be a process that's worked out over a long period of time, maybe. And more than likely, the deeper the wound, the longer the time it will take. But for most of us that just get hot-headed, and we just get angry, and we just pop off, and we do things, and we say things, this is where we need to like change the way we think. Renew our mind. Listen to this Bible verse. This Bible verse is so profound. If, if some of you need to tattoo this onto your forearm, and let this be your life, if you're angry, if everybody's like, yeah, you're the angry one, or if you're so angry that they won't tell you that you're angry, this is for you. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Now, there's only a couple of places in the whole Bible where they actually say, look, all right, stop. I've been, ta- I've been going on for three chapters now. Write this one down. Take note of this. Everyone, everybody say, that's me. That was very weak. Everybody say, that's me. You're everyone, I promise. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let's say that again. Go back. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. One more time. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Like, you know how, like, when that guy cut you off in traffic? Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. You know when your wife, when your husband, when that coworker, quick to listen. There's probably a lot more going on than what you even understand or realize, and your anger won't even allow you to see it anyway, but if you'd be just quick to listen. And then be slow to speak. I don't know about you. Some of us are so quick-witted that in the right moment, we can say, are you good at zingers? Is anybody that's just like, man, if you get me hot and you get me, man, I can just lay, I can lay the perfect zinger, that perfect wound, that perfect shot. I see you smiling, nodding your head. Yes, Jesus, thank you. That's not a, that's not a thing you want to be glad about necessarily. I'm pretty, I'm pretty quick, you know, with my words. And I'm telling you what, the Bible says, don't be quick with your words. It isn't maturity, parents, you, you would get this. When you teach your kids what maturity is, what you're really teaching them is this. Just think before you do stuff. Because kids don't think, they're just impulsive. They just do things without thinking. You say, think before you act. And the same thing is true with their words. Think before you speak. And all of a sudden we become adults and we realize, like, we're smarter now, we're sharper now, and sometimes we're quick-witted and we're like, no, 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 the same thing is still true. You know what biblical maturity is? Think before you speak. Be slow to speak. Don't, don't fire off the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Actually sit back and think. Sit back and pray. Sit back and, okay, what would, what would God have me do here? What would be the way, best way to handle this situation? If we were just slow to become angry, our lives would be so much better. And then this is the second part of the verse. He goes, for, 
or because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There's the ending right there. If you just ever wondered, there is nothing about your anger that will ever produce God's best in your life. And so God's saying, you've got this anger kind of buried down deep in your soul, and God wants to heal you, and God wants you to forgive, and God wants you to begin to think and live and act differently, because that anger will never produce God's best in your life. And that's the whole point of having that soul detox, is because when addiction controls our life, we can't live out God's best. When depression controls our life, when envy or greed or guilt control our life, we can never. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the fullest. And you will never, you'll never realize that. You'll never see that. You'll never live that out as long as your soul is full of this junk. And so the Bible really invites you to come on this journey where you literally detox your soul. Where you get rid of the anger, you get rid of the bitterness, you get rid of the depression or the addiction or whatever it is so that you can experience God's best in your life. Do me a favor, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes today. No one looking around. If you're in here today and you say, Todd, you know what? That's me today. Today I'm the angry guy, the angry woman. I'm the one that's become a little bit bitter in my life and that's me today. Just between me and you, can you slip your hand up in the air? I, I, I get hot-headed I say stuff too quick, I, I fire off out the mouth and I say mean things, sometimes I can be verbally abusive, sometimes I get too hot-headed, sometimes I get the full vent of my anger. You can put your hand down. Today, God, I pray for these people. God, help us. God, when we find ourselves boiling up with that anger, God, let us ask the profound question, why am I angry? Why? What is, what is in me? Am I... Am I carrying over anger from my past relationship? Am I bringing anger in from my childhood? Am I still letting anger control me? Where, God, is this coming from? And God, how would you have me respond? Is there someone, let me ask you this question today for those of you, is there someone that you need to forgive today? Is there someone in your life who hurt you, wounded you, and they owe, but today you need to cancel the debt? Is it that unforgiveness that's making you stay in that angry place? And for some of you, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just, you know what? That's just the way I've always been. My dad was angry, and I'm kind of angry, and we're all just kind of loud and yell and scream and cuss. And Maybe it's time we change our mind. Maybe it's time that we renew our mind and change the words that come out of our mouth. What if we became a child of God who was quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? Father, I pray for your help. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do a work in us today, Lord. Father, we're asking for your help. God, we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.